This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. This is Philip Mock, and welcome to the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how securities transfers work and what a in-kind transfer means. And this is in response to a faithful listener's question. So that will be the topic for today's episode. If you've ever moved or maybe in the future intend to move a security like a stock or a bond or a mutual fund or an ETF from one provider or custodian to another, then this episode is is basically about that process. And to some degree, it can also extend to certain insurance products. But in a few episodes, especially um, the last one and then some others recently, we've talked about using the phrase in kind for a transfer. And I probably haven't explained that well enough. And so I wanted to do an episode to basically walk through what is an in-kind transfer, how do securities transfers actually work, and how did we get here, sort of a history of this process. So let's start first with what are we actually talking about, and then we'll kind of walk through the history, and that will bring us to where we are today. So if you have a brokerage account that has maybe some cash in it and some stocks and some mutual funds, and you have it at broker... A, and you want to move it to custodian or brokerage B, there are pretty much two ways of doing it. Option A is you sell everything, you have them issue you a check, you take the check over to brokerage B, you deposit the check, and then you buy stuff again. That can work, but there are a couple of issues with doing it that way. First of all, if it's a IRA or other type of retirement account, doing it that way could cause you some tax issues. Rollovers, which is kind of the word for a transfer between re- retirement accounts, a rollover is usually much cleaner if it's done in what's called a trustee-to-trustee transfer, where the funds either in-kind or by cash are directed directly from one one institutional holder to another as opposed to going through you and your bank account. It's not impossible, but it's just a lot harder. Second, if it's a taxable account and you sell everything, then you may have capital gains. And if you've had that brokerage account for a while, the capital gains could be extensive. So it's a problem to basically move assets that way by doing it in terms of cash, because you'd either have to sell if it's a taxable account, which could incur capital gains, or if it's a retirement account, you may inadvertently run into some tax problems. 
So the alternative is to transfer in kind. And transferring in kind is basically the process where you tell your custodian A, I have all of these securities and I want to move them to custodian B. And you fill out some paperwork or maybe you click some electronic buttons on the computer to initiate the transfer. If you have a financial advisor, maybe they do most of this process for you and you just have to approve it. And then a few days later, uh, you see or get some notification that the transfer process has started. And then a few days or a few weeks later, all of the sudden, your same set of securities that you had at brokerage A are now at brokerage B. Share for share, security for security, dollar for dollar. And that's how most transfers work today. Now, there are some exceptions, which we can talk about, but that is an in-kind transfer, where it's not going through the intermediary of, quote, cash. It's, it's literally taking, you have seven shares of this particular fund over here, and it's like you literally took those shares in your hands and walked them over to brokerage B and deposited them over there, except it all happened behind the scenes without you really having to do very much. You just wake up one day and log into brokerage B, and then all of your stuff is there. So that's kind of what we're talking about. We've come a long way. If you go back to the 40s and 50s, most stock trades and transfers were done exclusively on paper. And that became, as markets became uh, larger and there was much greater volume moving in the 60s and 70s, paper became a, a really burdensome process for, for settling trades and for transferring assets between different firms. And so what was created is, is now um, a, a predecessor to what today is the modern um, Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation. So this is the DTCC. And the DTCC is a holding company for the Depository Trust Company and the National Securities Clearing Corporation. I personally can't imagine how complex and how many errors must have occurred when you were literally doing securities transactions on Wall Street by paper. I mean, think about all the paper on the floor, all the paper between hands. If you've seen, I mean, there's a bunch of different movies that depict Wall Street during this time, and it's always chaotic. In doing some research for this episode, I learned it was common for um, certificates and other evidence of transactions to be mailed to the wrong house or, or, you know, completely lost altogether. So imagine if you had your life savings in a brokerage account in this era and you needed to maybe cash out to buy a business or to buy something and your trades lost. Like, I, I don't know. It's just a different world. It's, it's hard for me to fathom. So, it was just very burdensome. And in fact, I learned that in the early 60s, the Securities and Exchange Commission actually extended the settlement to five days. So currently, stocks and ETFs are in a 
T plus two settlement cycles. So that means if you trade them on a Monday, you get cash on Wednesday. So trade is day zero. Tuesday would be day one. Wednesday would be day two. And that's the day you get your trade or your cash. Or if you're buying the day, the cash, you know, is effectively moved from the brokerage. A mutual fund is a T plus one. So it's next day settlement. So imagine in this era that you had five days for settlement. So if you were going to sell assets to buy a business or something like that, you enter the trade on Monday, you didn't get your assets until the next Monday because Saturday and Sunday were not business days. So day one is Tuesday and so on. Day five would be the following Monday. Now, in response to this, the SEC and the brokerage firms tried a number of different things, but what they settled on was um, basically the predecessor to the DTC and the NSCC. And it's pretty interesting history if you have a chance to look it over. Um, I mean, the volumes they were doing by paper back then were um, unbelievable to me. But anyway, so basically the DTC and the NSCC work together and they do they have two distinct roles in today's modern market and a lot of what they do is basically in response to how things were done then which were chaotic and by paper and completely fraught with error so first the nscc is basically a clearing corporation so when broker dealers uh, or custodians have trades of equities and and bonds, they are basically the one that is settling that and saying, okay, broker A, you moved money from here to here in this fund here and this trade here and this stock here. And, and they're doing that like a gazillion times a day um, and making sure that all the settlements take place. You know, brokerage A bought 10 shares of this. So we need to move the cash over here. And then we move the shares from this other brokerage back to this first brokerage. And it's insane. Like you think about how many different institutions there are, which in a, my research, the National Securities Clearing Corporation has 4,000 different firm participants. So um, that's a lot. And they're basically like a central clearinghouse. So rather than, and in, in that regard, sort of work like a title company. Um, when you buy a house, you don't just walk up to, so-and-so and buy a check, generally, you generally deposit your funds with the title company and the title company then distributes the funds to the other party in the transaction. Now the DTC has a very different role, but they're equally important. The DTC actually is the holder of the security. So whereas the NSCC is sort of like the accountant, um, the DTC is sort of the holder of the assets. And so they're the ones actually moving the money and securities around. And it's pretty remarkable to think about how all these different entities and all these different companies that are out there that have publicly traded stock, um, they all basically use the DTC as the holder of these for their books and records. Now, it doesn't mean that the DTC has a giant vault with 
share certificates, but rather I think most of this is done on computer. So the DTC basically tracks um, which firm has this many shares. So if you, in a brokerage account, own a share of a publicly traded company, um, we're just going to make up a name of one here. Let's call it Oak River Corporation. Um, Oak River Corporation is a pretend publicly traded company, and you own one share of Oak River Corporation. I would almost guarantee you, unless you have a physical certificate, that Oak River Corporation has no idea who you are. And the reason for that is that on their books and records, they have line items with the DTC that would say, this brokerage has this many shares, this brokerage has this many shares. The brokerage then knows that they have a total number of shares that reconciles with the number of shares that the DTC shows, but then the brokerage is responsible for knowing how those shares are divvied up among all their various accounts. So if you have one share of Oak River Corporation at brokerage A, the DTC will say, Brokerage A has this many shares of Oak River Corporation, and then Brokerage A is responsible to know that of those shares of Oak River Corporation, you own one of them. Now, if you own a physical certificate, that's different. And in that case, uh, via an entity called a transfer agent, the company would actually associate you with the share of that stock, but nobody really owns share certificates now outright unless it's for um, nostalgia or maybe novelty type purposes. So when a company, for instance, issues a dividend, the TTC is really important because they're farming that cash out um, to all the different brokers and custodians that own the, the stock and then the custodians responsible for divvying that up among all of the account holders. So... Coming back to our topic for today, how do transfers work? Well, transfers are done on something called the ACAT network. And the ACAT network is an acronym because, you know, finance firms love their acronyms, but it's an acronym that stands for the Automated Customer Account Transfer Service, and it is a subsidiary service of the DTCC. So this DTCC holding company that owns both the DTC and the National Securities Clearing Corporation also administers this service called the account, or excuse me, the Automated Customer Account Transfer Service. And this is the channel through which a digital account transfer occurs. So when you go to brokerage A and you say, I want to move my things to brokerage B, the ACAT network does that. So different institutions have to register with the ACAT network. And then the ACAT network basically has a series of steps to basically identify a transfer, to standardize it, automate it, verify it, and make it move much faster to move assets from point A to point B. They also make sure that all the member firms that do transfers do it in a compliant way and um, do this like a gazillion different times a day. So there are all sorts of rules about how, what the different participating firms have to do on a transfer, how quickly they have to respond, etc. Now, not every firm is on the ACAT network uh, for one reason or another. So there are cases where 
Um, it's a little more arduous and behind the scenes. An operation department may actually be mailing a list of shares and positions from one firm to another in order to make a transfer happen. Um, but the, the large firms are ACAT members, and a full ACAT transfer generally only takes um, a handful of days, um, usually less than two weeks. A non-ACAT transfer can take anywhere from two to four weeks. After 2012, an ACAT transfer and the other transfer also usually arrived with some sort of cost basis information. So prior to 2012, it was incumbent on the taxpayer to make sure that they had all of that information. But for transactions beginning with 2012 and later, it is the custodian or the broker dealer's responsibility to track cost basis. So, well, I should say, they do track cost basis. It's always the taxpayer's responsibility to prove it, but custodians will track it as well. So now when you do a transfer from one institution to another, not only do your shares magically arrive electronically in, in several days, but all of the cost basis information arrives with it. Go back to the paper days of the 60s, and I just don't know how anyone's tax return was accurate that made a lot of trades, but admittedly back then no one made a lot of trades because... Uh, it was pretty difficult and expensive to do so. Now, at a lot of large brokerages, it's basically free to make trades in many different classes of securities, and so trading is a lot more prevalent. And I just don't know how we would do it today if um, we were still doing it on paper. So the next time you feel like you need to transfer a brokerage account from one broker to another and you do it digitally, Take a moment to reflect on how lucky we are that we live in an era where this is all done smoothly, electronically, accurately, quickly, um, and with very little effort on your part. In, in some very indirect way, our tax dollars and fees that these member firms pay are going to all the entities in the background that make these transfers happen so smoothly. That's all for today's episode. We'll see you next week. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.